0: Okay, living in a PC world. And by PC, I'm not talking about politically correct. I'm talking about post-Christian world. How are we to live in a post-Christian world? A little bit of background. So the letter of Rome was likely written about 57, 58 AD. And though Paul and Peter were later martyred, it's unlikely they were actually founders of the church. The church at Rome was probably founded by converts, either from the day of Pentecost, or converts of Paul or other, or some of the other possible. And it was largely, it was a Gentile congregation. And it wasn't one church, it was probably a number of group of house churches within the city of Rome. See, about about nine or 10 years prior to that, the Jews actually had been expelled from Rome by an imperial decree. So the faith of the Roman believers, however, had become so well known, and coming back to Paul, that he was really encouraged. In fact, he was very eager to visit them and personally minister to the various house churches in Rome, he desired. In fact, he made plans to go to Rome several times but were stopped for a number of times. So when he wrote this letter, he was in the city of Corinth and on his way back to Jerusalem to deliver money he had, he had collected for the poor in the church in Jerusalem. And it was when he got to Jerusalem later, shortly after that, he was actually arrested. And then later on, of course, he makes it to Rome, but as a, as a prisoner, not on his own volition immediately. The letter was actually carried by a letter by Phoebe, who was a woman who belonged to a church in Centuria near Co- Corinth. And so it's believed that she actually took this very important letter and actually delivered it to the house churches in Rome. So in Romans, in Romans chapter one, Paul gives a snapshot of the Roman society at the time. So hang with me. This is a long eight verses from 18 to 32. Though the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore, God gave them over to, the sinful, to uh, over in the sinful desires of the hearts, the sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversions. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's the society to which Paul was eager to visit and preach the gospel. You know, today, you typically don't see such statements on a travel brochure. It's like, hey, come to Ocean City to be cheated, robbed, murdered, and lied to. Honey, pack up the kids. We're going to Ocean City for a week. But Paul knew that God had clearly stated that the sovereign Lord says, I do not delight. I I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In fact, in, in Ezekiel, even prior to that, that's in Ezekiel 33, but even prior to that, Paul, the Lord also says, I do not delight, in, or do not take pleasure in the death of anyone. Repent and live. So that's why Paul was eager to go to society. So at the time of this letter, the predominant philosophies that shaped any kind of moral consensus were naturalistic and derived from man's thinking. In this pre-Christian world, Christians were a minority, and they had little influence over societal morals And public policy. So it's no surprise that all kinds of evils and debauchery were taking place in Rome and in other cities as well as Paul went from town to town. Yet, it's to this very people to which Paul wrote his letter and said, I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul had this message. He knew the Romans needed it. I would submit today that we are living in a post-Christian world. That is, that we are like like Paul. We're living in a society that doesn't rely on Judeo-Christian truths as the basis for its public policies or even a moral consensus. And in this post-Christian world, our culture has been overtaken by a worldview dominated by naturalism and other philosophies derived solely from man's thinking. So let me first explain what I mean by worldview. I mean, quite simply it's put, it's the way in which we really interpret reality around us. It affects how we answer life's basic questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? I'm sorry, there's Rome. I feel I have this toy. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? And does life have any meaning and purpose? And so the answer how we answer those in our worldview is really critical because it affects all the choices that we make. It shapes the choices of what we believe is real and true, what we believe is right and wrong, what we believe is good and beautiful. And so a test for any kind of worldview is really how it answers three central questions. That is, creation, where do we come from, and who are we? Fall, what is wrong with the world? And redemption, well, what can we do to fix it? And further, a worldview has to pass the test of reality. That is, if we have a worldview, we look around things, and we, we answer these things, we ask ourselves, well, this is what I believe is going on, but then when I look at the evidence, does that worldview align with the evidence in front of me? Is that what's really going on? And if not, then maybe the worldview needs to be changed. So let's look briefly at these two, world, or two worldviews, Christianity and naturalism. So naturalism, we start with creation. Naturalism starts off with, you know, well, we're created by chance out of matter. Physical laws of nature through a natural selection process is just complete happenstance. It's just a happen chance. It started way back when and things bump into each other and eventually life arises from that. Now, time doesn't permit me to go through all the great detail on any of these, so I'm going to hit a couple of points, really, because I could spend easily the next couple of hours going through, uh, just the creation bit because there's so many great things there. So on to creation. Since the 18th century, there's been a fundamental law of physics called, um, it's the first law of thermodynamics. It says matter can't be created or, or, um, well, yeah, created or destroyed. Right? Uh, and we know now, you know, energy is in the part of the question, too. You can't... There's only so much matter and energy in the, in, in the universe. You can't create it or destroy. it. You can change back and forth, but you can't make it new. Well, in the in the 19th century, or the 18th century, when it was first coming out, I would have said, okay, so the universe is constant. Aha! You Christians say God started something from nothing. And yet, we have this law that says matter can't be created or destroyed, and we believe the universe has always been constant, therefore... And so the Christians, you guys are wrong. And so, you know, so, Well, it wasn't until about the 20th century that a lot of things began to come together. In the 20th, early 20th century, the whole general theory of relativity began to come into being. Plus, we began looking at, we, we, in, by the 1960s, we had the ability to look at different wa- wavelength and light spectrums going on in stars. And we discovered that, gee, stars are actually moving outward. And kind of slowing down. And the implications from Einstein's general theory of relativity was like, well, things had to have a beginning somehow. In complete opposition to what the scientific community thought at the time. And so as they put together two, and also when you one looked at both laws of thermodynamics, the second one says everything goes to decay. Well, if things are winding down, if the universe is winding down, then that means there was a winding up somehow. And all of that goes against the prevalent thinking of saying, well, it was all steady state. Nothing was changing. So by the 1960s, this idea of the Big Bang occurred and said, well, everything's all compressed and all together, and at some point it went boom. But there's a problem because naturalism teaches everything has a cause and an effect. And if there was a, things were together and it was a boom, what caused that effect? And since we know that matter and energy can't be created or destroyed, then whatever caused that had to be outside of the system. Well, that doesn't make sense because now I'm forced to believe that there's something outside the system, but my naturalistic philosophy says that can't be. There was a lot of debate in the 1960s that some scientists said, Big Bang Theory, a bunk, it can't happen, absolutely can't. And eventually, today, scientists now accept that, the Big Bang Theory, as as truth. Well, the Christians knew that because in in Genesis, God said, let there be light and bang. There was a lot of light and matter and stuff. Before that, there was nothing. We believe in a transcendent God that created the universe. There's another principle called the anthropic principle. And that is that um, when we look at the universe today and we look at things like where the earth is, the earth is in, in, in just the right place within our, around our sun so that it doesn't, things don't boil off. A little bit too close to the sun and the oceans boil away. Not good unless you really like eating a lot of crab and seafood. But then it's gone. A little further away from the sun, and everything freezes. Again, not good. Unless you like the real cold. And after last winter, we probably said, don't like that scenario. So the Earth is right where it needs to be to support life. In fact, it turns out that certain physical laws and constants, like gravity, a little if the gravity constant were to change just a little bit, either that it was too strong, then it means that when God spoke, if God messed up that, that calculation, and he never messes up calculations. If he messed up that math, and it was just a little bit too strong, then the big bang would be more like the big burp. Because things would have rushed out and come right back in. Oops. If we were a little too weak, then when he spoke and went out, they would have really rushed really far out. And it might have been a little more of a harder task to get them all back together where they needed to be because they would have run away quickly and spun away from each other. But it's right where it is to hold things together. Even the atomic structure is right where it needs to be. Atoms are made, the nucleus, the very core of an atom is made up of a proton and, and, and neutrons. And neutrons are actually bigger than protons. And neutrons, but they, they're bigger... And when they degrade, they form protons and another particle. What if it were reversed? Well, it turns out if the proton were as big and degraded, when neutron degrades, it forms the final proton is called hydrogen. Hydrogen is in the middle of our sun. It fuels things. If a proton behaved like a neutron, then the sun would just kind of evaporate. So God's got it planned out, even on an atomic level, and when one, one looks at these things and looks at, well, it's a nice coincidence. Let's see, it's a nice coincidence that atoms are structured just the way they do. It's a coincidence that the earth is right where it needs to be. It's a coincidence that water behaves where it is. Water is an interesting thing because water, when it freezes, it gets less dense. Most things, when they freeze, they, get, they contract in and they get dense and they sink. Water floats when it starts to freeze, it comes to a point where it actually gets less dense, so water, so ice is always on the top. Well, what does it mean? Well, if you're a fish, that's pretty important to you in the winter. If you're a frog or a turtle, it's pretty important to you in the winter because where you're at the bottom of the pond, it's still water and liquid, and you can kind of float around in it as those being frozen in it and then thawed out. That only happens in cartoons like Ice Age and The Big Thaw. I love the little squirrel in that thing. I relate with him in some of the things he goes through. I go, I've done that. That's me. So that's just one. You know, and we go through more and more and more of all those things. Evolution. Okay, so Darwinian evolution teaches that over time, life gradually rise, arose from inanimate matter and evolves through, a, through complex... Life forms through a process of natural selection. You guys get bombarded with this all the time in school. Young parents, your small kids are getting bombarded with the same concept in a number of television programs and things that they see all the time. It's not true. The reality is no one, of all the experiments that have been done over the last century like that, no one has demonstrated a new life form arising from any of the different experiments. We've irradiated and done things to fruit flies for, you know, for the last couple of decades. And we never get a fruit fly to even become a house fly. All we do is we change the structure. It gets shriveled wings. It had wings before. They get tinier. They get bigger. They're the same structure. It had bristles. It gets more bristles. It's the same structure. It just gets more or less bristles. Some of us have more bristles and less bristles, if you know what I mean, guys. It doesn't mean... You're a fruit fly, or changing into something else. You just got more or less bristles. None of that. Even on simple things, uh, experiments have been done to, well, if in space, if we take these basic building blocks and we make little molecules, well, that's great. In the end, even those experiments showed in order to get those to work, the experiment that had to so control the experiment that what he really proved is it takes an intelligent designer to control the experiment to make it happen. One of the first experiments was uh, was Stanley Miller, and he he did electrodes and and, and jolted all the stuff in. He said, oh, look, I made amino acids. Great, and they're the building blocks of proteins in our body. But amino acids come in two forms, kind of mirror images, left hand and right hand. We only use the one form in our lives and All the proteins are built up with the one form. And if I say left hand, I'm going to look at Joe, because like, this is the one I always forget. This is where it was bad. Left hand, right hand, but it's only one form. I'm going to say left hand unless Joe puts his hand up. Did I guess right? 50 50. Awesome. Good. I'd always messed it up on my biochemistry test, too. It's like, oh, man. Uh, left handed amino acids. But yet, if you make this soup, they kind of come out even. In fact, every time you do those experiments, everything comes out even. I go, but the right hand ones would be no good. So they're. And by the way, when he was doing his experiment, he had to keep draining and pulling amino acids out in order to save them. Otherwise, if they left in his little apparatus, they'd all get destroyed. Well, that's great in an experiment, but in the real world, they would have been made and destroyed by the same things that made them. So all, it proved, all they proved was that you really need an intelligent designer purposely putting things together in a certain order so they'd work. I, again, there's a ton of stuff I could, I'd love to say on F, but we just don't have time to go through it point by point in all the different things, and maybe that's a, another Sunday morning session or, or, or Bible study, which I'd love to talk about and do sometime. Christianity says God created the heavens and the earth. God created man in his image for his purposes. Man was uniquely created. Naturalism says it came about all by chance, which means you're no different than the animals. Boy you've got the same value as a mouse, which is why we don't want to do lab experiments on mice because they have the same value as you, which is why we don't want to create new vaccines because the mouse has the same value as you do. I'm sorry you're dying from that disease. But if I tested the mouse, he would die. Even Carl Sagan came into that at the end of his life when he he developed his bone disease. He was offered a medication that was developed through animal research. And at the end, he took the medication and it prolonged his life for a few more months. Ah, the fall. So, what's going on with the world? Why is the war and suffering and disease? What's going on with the world? You know, there's a utopian that, you know, naturalism says there's utopian belief that well, we're all evolving and basically, you're a nice person. You're good on the inside, right? good answer man i would have got that one wrong i'd be in so trouble i'm in trouble now i'm sure (laughs) right so so basically you're good and all it takes is if we put you in the right economic and social situation your goodness will just exude and the problem with the war and disease and everything is just that we just haven't put you and structured things right with the right economics or social situation and we've just kind of inhibited you and frustrated you but once we do that you'll be and yet, all of the social experiments and all the social things have been done, and every, all the social engineering that's gone on in different countries and things show that we still have war, we still have disease. The societies, even small, societies, attempt to be a utopian society, and we'll take this commune, and in the end, it degenerates to a tyranny and one guy dictating at the top, and everybody else under these suffering. It doesn't work. Christianity says, well, what's going on? Is man disobeyed God, and as a result, man is spiritually dead. Man has a sin nature. Every inclination in his heart now is towards himself and focused inward. So the reason there's war and disease is you got stuff, I want it. Even creation was cursed. The world around us is all cursed. And that's why we have the floods and things and everything is subject to decay. So if we check this out with reality, well, what's the second law of thermodynamics? Everything's running down and going to decay. Well, that fits. And a redemption. Well, you know, we can redeem ourselves by yeah, our science, our technology is going to work us way away. Once we, once we get, the you know, or if we, if we just, we have too many constraints on, 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 on our, our thinking about uh, sexual liberal, liberalism. And if we just open it up and people just have free love and a whole thing. Well, that didn't work. We just end up in a lot of broken homes. And drugs. Well, if we create new drugs and it'll make people feel better and whole. well, that didn't work. And this whole New Age religion, you know, actually, we're gods within ours because we're part of nature, and nature's is a... And it, or eventually, we will evolve away from evil. Eventually, we're still growing. We're still changing. And somewhere in the future, we'll be this bubble-headed, big-eyed, alien-like thing that's all peaceful and working out with each other and zipping among the stars with warp drive and all this stuff. Duff. And Christianity says, well, a tainted man can't fix a tainted world. While we are yet sinners, God sent his son, Jesus Christ. That's whoever believes in him shall not perish, but it will have everlasting life. Only Christianity actually begins with an accurate diagnosis of what's going on with us as humans. The problem is basic moral one. Our guilt is before a holy God. God created us and established a moral dimension for our lives, but we blew it. Every one of us has sinned and full short of the glory of God. Only Christianity provides the answer to the problem of this sin. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The holy creator God reached across that chasm that, chasm that separated us and made a way by placing all of our guilt on his innocent son. This offer of salvation is based on historical truth. It's the final element that separates the Christianity and Christian worldview from all the others because it's not based on some evolutionary projection into the future or an extraterrestrial fantasy, but on a historical event at a specific time and place. Christ was crucified during the Jewish Passover in the year 30 AD and was resurrected three days later. That fact has been debated and attacked for over two thousand years and it still comes back, it's still a fact, it's there. Well, we'll get the guards to say they, you know, they fell asleep, which completely wrong, in terms, you know, would, would just be a death nail for them if that really happened. And they'll say that, you know, they were overpowered by the disciples who stole the body. Or no, no, we'll say that Jesus wasn't really dead when he was put in the tomb. He swooned and the coolness of the tomb brought him back to life when all the evidence is contrary to that. It's like, really show us the body. Time and time again, people have attacked that, but it is a historical fact that doesn't... So the question is, how do we live as Christians in a post-Christian world? Right. And the first, it's by us being transformed by our thinking. We need to understand what what naturalism and the other world views are. We need to understand what other people are being sucked into so that we can minister to them and talk to them. I worked for a French company and for two years I took French because um, many of the colleagues I, I worked with knew English but I wanted to be better able to relate to them and communicate with them. And I got, I got reasonably well at talking. I got better at being able to read technical results and everything. They, they rejoiced when we'd sit down and we'd have dinner and I would try my French. And there was one particular meal, and I, I don't, now it's been years, so I want to attempt the French uh, saying, but what I did was I ordered something, and, and I looked over very proudly at my fellow, and I wanted to say, look, I'm cutting my bread with my knife. And what I said was, I'm cutting my underwear with my knife. <laughs> and he did just that, laughing hysterical. I was like, what? What? I was being serious. What? And he just laughed and goes, what you just told me is you're cutting your underwear with your knife. Oops. I tried. We need to bridge the gap to those that are over there. And so we need to understand where they're coming from, what they're thinking, what their basis of stuff is. Paul instructs us then as believers too, we need to be transformed. right? Not to be transformed by their thinking, but transformed and do not conform to the pattern of this world. But we're transformed by God's word. The charge you heard, and thank you, Bud, for myself, and it's true for all of us, is to be grounded in God's word. We need to know those things that we believe and why they're true. They need to be deep inside of us so that we can have that conversation with them. See, Christianity is not just a faith A private faith that I keep inside. Yes, I have a personal relation with Jesus Christ and there are things that I sit down and I tell him about that I would never tell anybody else. Things that are on my heart. Sometimes I'll confess, I shake my fist. I like, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? I don't understand. I'm so angry with you right now. I'm sorry. Did you ever get angry at your parents? I'll look over here at your parents. The kids ever get out? Oh, and they storm off. Don't talk to me. It slammed the room, the door shut. I've done that. I don't understand what you're doing. <laughs> I know you're not going to the, the door. You're actually here in the room with me because you're everywhere, right? Yeah. Okay, so that didn't work. But let's talk about it. We need to understand. But our faith isn't a private faith. But it, it should be a for us, it should be a public worldview that permeates politics, the arts, science, mathematics, education, and our culture. There's really no distinction between a private life and a public life. There should not be a distinction for us as Christians between a private life and a public life. And, if, and, and by the way, even if anomaly is saying, well, that's my private life, it doesn't affect my, pu- my, my public life, that is bunk. If you believe that, come see me. I have a bridge in New York City I want to sell you. I completely own the rights to the Brooklyn Bridge and the George Washington Bridge. So just come see me, I'll give you a good price. You can collect all the tolls anytime you want. I don't. Last thought. So let us be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in us. Let us do it with gentleness and respect. With love. Paul was going to a society that when you look at the out, the way he describes it, like, good, why would you go there? Are you kidding me? Do you see what you said about those people? Paul was going because God says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. So repent and live. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Repent. And live. So the sinking of the Titanic occurred on the night of April 14, 1912, in the North Atlantic Ocean, four days into the ship's maiden voyage from Southampton to New York City. It was the largest passenger liner in the service at the time. Titanic had an estimated, of, an estimated 2,224 people on board when she struck an iceberg at around 11.40 p.m. on Sunday night she sank she sank within 2 hours and 40 minutes later at 2:20 a.m. on monday april 15th resulting in the death of more than 1500 people which made it one of the deadliest peacetime marathon disasters in history almost all of those who jumped or fell into the water died from hypothermia within minutes The RMS Carpathia later arrived on the scene about an hour and a half after the sinking and had rescued the last survivors by the dawn on that Monday morning, some nine and a half hours after the collision. In the last few scenes of the movie in Titanic, we see people in lifeboats. And a debate issues as the ship goes down. There's a debate that ensues on whether they should row back to pick up the survivors. Some argue, don't they'll swamp us. They'll pull a boat over and we'll all be in the water. Absolutely not. One person, Molly Brown, argues back. There are husbands. There are children. These are people we know. We have to row back and get them. Look, we, we, can, we can move people around in some of the boats because some of the boats were not all full. But she is rebuffed. Some people sit in the boat and don't even look at her in that scene because they know the right thing to do but they are afraid and paralyzed she is rebuffed she's even threatened by others in the boat we believers are like those who are in the lifeboats it's sad to say there are some churches who will row away afraid of being capsized by those in the water afraid of being tainted by those in the water crossing community church is not and will not be one of those churches Let us row to them. There are many unbelievers in the swirling waters around us and they will perish if we do not go to them and reason with them to get into the boat. Some will gladly come in. Some will cling to the side, look into the boat, look around and sadly let go. Some of those in the water will resist firmly clinging to the floating wreckage that they mistakenly believe is going to save them. No, no, see, I think it's this way. But we, who know the truth, are obligated and compelled to row to them and reason with them. On the dawn of the third day following his crucifixion, Christ burst forth from the tomb. The Lord says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. We are at the dawn of the third millennium. May our Lord find us faithful, pulling people into our boat when he returns. Father, we come before you, O God. Lord, as we look around our society, as you look around the changes that are taking place, Lord, um, it does get frustrating. I must admit, I more than one time have, have, have shaken my fist and saying, "Lord, come quickly. Come and deal with this, and stop the the, the, the immorality and and, and, the, and just the evil we see around." Father, may we be like Paul. Follow I me, mean, like Paul in the city of Romans who was eager to go to the church, to, who was encouraged by them. Lord, may we be found faithful. Teach us, Lord, transform our minds with your word. Help us, Lord, to understand uh, what is going around us in a manner that we can effectively reason with those and pull people on a lifeboat, Lord. May we row to them, and may we row unceasingly until the day that you return. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time now.